Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Jojo Rankin is a marriage coach at R, the letter R, Family Strong. She's a former practical nurse at an oncology infusion center where she learned we are all stronger than we think we are. Jojo, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to be here. How long ago were you an oncology nurse? So it was about four years ago, and I was an oncology nurse for four years until our clinic sold. And then we, I went somewhere else after it sold. And I have to ask you, why did you become an oncology nurse? Um, actually, so it kind of fell into my lap. I'm a very compassionate person, and I, I think I feel people's feelings differently than most people do, um, which is why I turned into a marriage coach, right? <laughs> um, but I, I, it stum- I stumbled across it, and I just felt so strongly like, that I needed to do this. Um, I've had uncles and aunts pass away from cancer and, you know, it, it could always hit home to me, but I think specifically at that time frame, I just knew I needed to become, you know, work in, in the oncology clinic and, and care for whoever I could. Um, it was an infusion center. So we did the chemo treatments and the doctor visits on the same day. It was quite um, interesting and probably one of the best experiences slash the hardest experiences of my life. Did nursing school prepare you for this no. at all? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. Never. I, I don't know if anything can prepare you. Um, you know, when families are going through hard things, specifically, I I have a hard time with that. I'm a foster mom and, you know, the world is very difficult. And then when you throw external circumstances such as cancer and diseases and diagnoses and all these things that most people have never heard of, and even even in the nursing world, a lot of the terms and the medications, you don't study that stuff in, in nursing school. Like you just, <laughs> you don't. And, and I don't know if you're prepared to care for people in the capacity that um, is required. You know, my mother was a nurse. So I grew up around hospitals and nursing homes and, mm-hmm. um, and there were always sort of three areas of nursing she never wanted to do. She never wanted to do labor and delivery. Yeah, she me either. Wanted, yeah, she never <laughs> wanted to do ER. No, nope, me either. <laughs> yeah, and she never wanted to be and what she would call the terminal ward. So yeah. if it had to do with AIDS, especially of course in the eighties, if it had to do with cancer, she didn't want to deal with it. She yeah. was fine taking care of older people and, and people who might be dying of sort of other illnesses or diseases, but she did not want to be on the oncology ward at yeah. all. Well, I really thank you, first of all, for that's, yeah. that's really amazing. I don't think it's an easy job, but I think of all the nursing jobs or, you know, areas, it's, probably one of the most difficult. Um, yeah. I know for us, with me and my sister, uh, as I told you before we started recording, we had some of the most amazing pediatric oncology nurses ever, and we also had some of the worst. I mean, yep. the abs, like, why are you working with children? Like, really? I mean, come on. Tell me about a time where, you know, you didn't know what to do. So I would say that was about every day. Um, you come in, and you don't know what your day is going to be like because you, you, the patients become your family ultimately, because it wasn't the hospital that I was in. I was in a clinic. So I saw them Monday through Friday from nine to five. Like 
They became like family. And so, um, I mean, it got to the point, like they knew about my children's lives. They knew about our adoption stories. Like they knew my life and I knew their life. So it, it became like they were aunts, uncles, you know, and it, it became um, where we became very close to a lot of our patients. Did you say what was the hardest part or what, what did, what was your question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no. What, like, yeah. So what was something that was really difficult for you? Yeah. Like, well, let's go down this, this line of questioning, right? So I know for me now, it is very hard for me to get close to people currently fighting cancer. I, I can talk, I can coach, but I, I cannot get emotionally close to people fighting cancer. So tell me yeah. a little bit more about that. So for me, because of who I am, that was what I was all about. I was trying to just get in and dig deep because what if they didn't have a support system at home? If I can be that support and if they just want to cry to me, I'm there. I'm, that's okay. Like, you know, I, I, my clinic was very supportive on the fact of if a patient needs to sit and chat, then we're going to sit and chat. It, we did not run it like a factory, which is why after it closed, I left because a lot of clinics run as a factory. Um, for me, the hardest part was trying to just let them get it all out because like I said, like it became like your family. And so I think one of the biggest questions that I would always ask my patients was, what's hard for you? On any given day, that question could completely change. And it's the same in the marriage and a relationship. Like that question can consistently go different for every single day. What's hard for you right now could be you just feel like crap, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or it could be, you know what? I just got in a fight with my spouse. Or it could be, you know what? I'm, I'm just not understanding what the doctor just told me right now. So if you're able to like, dig deep on what's actually, what's hard for you right now. Um, I found that that brought a lot of um, emotional connection with my patients. What, if any, preconceived notions did you have about oncology and cancer before you started treating <laughs> these patients? I don't know if there was anything that I didn't expect except for becoming very close to my patients. I think the biggest thing probably was I just wasn't prepared. I didn't know what to expect and you don't know who's going to come in and how they're feeling because also the drugs change you completely. Like your moods are so different than what they may have been before you started treatment, you know, and, and a lot of people don't understand that, you know, a lot of family don't understand, like, she's being emotional right now. Well, she's being emotional for lots of different reasons. So I think there's just nothing like I, I just think that there was nothing to prepare you and nothing that I could have understood differently. I think the experience was amazing, though. I do think that. Oh, wow. Did you ever see a time when a patient's wants or needs conflicted with a caregiver's wants or needs? Um, every once in a while, but I can't quite think of a specific instance. Um, for the most part, because we tried to really dial down on what was needed and cover everything that was needed, I think we got to the bottom of the surface of it before it actually exploded or anything happened, um, like with the caregiver or anything. I, I don't think that we really had that issue. And if we did, maybe we just didn't see it. But no, I can't think of a time when that actually happened. So tell me about one of your favorite patients. I know you have them. Oh, <laughs> You're not supposed have, to have favorites, but I, I know you oh do. Oh, no, you do. You totally <laughs> do. And, and I think for me, the favorites would change often. I, I can't quite um, – there weren't quite very many that were not. I wasn't very close to. Um, I tried to be close to everybody because, again, I did not want that factory. Like, I did, I refused to be a, a factory nurse. And well, actually, just one of my favorites because there were lots of favorites. Um, but he was an older gentleman. And I just remember him and his wife were so, like, they were the perfect couple. 
Like you looked at them and they'd always be holding hands and like, you know, just they handled their emotions really well together. And um, I'm going to start crying. And I just like, I always wanted to envision that for everybody, you know, like, boo, I hate crying, but um, <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. You can maybe cry too, but it's okay. Right. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of favorite patients. I remember boo. We had, um, we didn't usually take a lot of pediatric, but we had a seven, two 17 year old boys at the same time. Mm. And I remember just being able to chat with them about like who their girlfriends were and like, you know, just, just silly stuff. But it, I think it changed our relationship and their mom was able to, I remember when I left the clinic, um, one of their moms came up to me and she was like, you know, I just, I just need to like have your phone number. And I, I was totally fine with that because again, they're like your family, you know? And so if I'm leaving somewhere, I want to stay in contact as much as I can because the moms got a break. They got an hour break when they knew they were at the infusion center. And mm -hmm. yes, their son was going through like horrible things, but their mom got a break to just go cry in the car if she needed to, you know, in secret. And so I think, boo, <laughs> I hate crying. I think those were my favorite times was just being able to like see the example and knowing that we are all stronger than we think we are. I think I didn't know that before I started working there because, you know, you go through trials and you think every trial is awful, but some trials really, really are awful and hard, super yeah. hard on everyone around you. And so seeing people just come in with a smiley face and you're like, how are you doing that? <laughs> you know, what happened to the couple, the, the older man? So he did pass away. He, the, she was really close to his kids. So she went and moved with his kids. So I felt good about that because I was super worried about her. Like, you know, her best friend is gone and I was really worried about her. Sorry. No, no, no. Don't you dare apologize. No, no, not at all. Don't apologize. I think I was able to like talk to her after he passed away because oh. he passed away right before I left the clinic and I was able to talk to her and like confirm that she was okay oh. and she was able to feel peace knowing like you know where he was and what you know he was no longer in pain like I think that was the biggest peaceful moment was he wasn't hurting anymore so oh, oh wow Wow. <laughs> what about the 17-year-old boys? They, they were good. They were good? They were cured, yeah. Yeah? Yep, they were good. And it took, it took, I think it was a year and a half for about both of them. And they both had, I can't remember exact type of cancer now because it's been a few years, but um, they both had really rare types of cancer, which is why they didn't go to the pa pediatric clinic because our doctor was the only one that like, really knew about those types. Yeah, they, they were good after, I think it was about a year and a half of fighting. And so... Yeah, that was really good news, you know. Oh, that is. That <laughs> is. Oh gosh. Um well, now I don't want to ask you about another patient. No, go ahead. You're okay. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. You know, and and I sometimes like I sit and think about them because you you just don't know sometimes and Yeah. You know? But yeah, go ahead, ask me yeah. away. I may cry and I may sound like a dolphin, but here I am. <laughs> I know, you know, it's not like a dolphin. Um <laughs> So how is your, I just, I'm just curious because I feel like nurses play a huge role in this particular disease, um, yeah. maybe a bigger role than in other diseases. A huge, yeah. And I, I think that gets overlooked. Um, 
so how is your relationship, you just mentioned the doctor there, how is your relationship with the doctor and how do you think his relationship was with the patients? Yes. So we had eight doctors, we had multiple clinics. And so I was the float nurse that would float to all of them. So overall, like five or six clinics, no, we had six clinics. Yeah. Six clinics uh, over all the six clinics I would float between. So it was really easy to get attached to all of the patients throughout our huge community. But we had for the most part, amazing doctors that I, I really appreciated. Some of them were not as kind to their nurses hmm. because that's just sometimes how it is. But as far as a patient standpoint, I would rec, you know, I would always recommend them because as like a triage and all that stuff, I knew they were taking care of them. I knew they were looking at their labs. I knew like from a patient standpoint, I would be comfortable as a nurse. I was like, yeah, sometimes you're not so kind to me, but you're always kind to your patients and you know what they need, which when we're going through a hard time, especially through something that a lot of other providers may not understand, you know, oncology is its own world. I want a doctor checking out my labs. I want a doctor checking on all of that, you know, the nitty gritty. And so if they're not always nice to their nurses, okay. But as long as they're always on top of my stuff, okay. You know, most of them were great with, with everybody, the nurses and the patients. And um, I, I feel like it was, for the most part, they relied on us nurses to kind of cover everything that, you know, all of the emotional side, you know, which maybe it was just too hard for them to cover that emotional side. So as nurses, we all work together to cover that. Yeah, I think it is for, for many doctors, not all, but, mm -hmm. but for, for many, they kind of, they don't want to deal with it. I mean, they Absolutely. just, they don't want to deal with it. Don't want to talk about it. Um, you yeah. mentioned your community. I should have asked. Yeah. So where is this community? Where are you? Las Vegas. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Very, very cool. I don't even want to know what Las <laughs> Vegas is like right now. So I don't know when this well, is going to air, but the time of this recording, we're yeah. still in the middle of this COVID-19 thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. My family is on lockdown. That's all I got. Like no one in or out. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, during that, that was four years, what was the worst time for you as a nurse? So it was actually with that, my favorite patient. Um, it was right before he passed away and his wife went and she walked up to me and my other, one of the other nurses. And she said, you know, I'm going to go to the store for a minute. Can you just keep an eye on him? He's been falling a lot. Make sure he doesn't stand up. And I was like, definitely. And so I was watching him and I was watching him and he stood up and I was like, no. And he fell. And I remember feeling just like, oh my gosh, not so much like from a liability standpoint or any of that, but like my heart was broken because number one, I felt so bad. I had told her, yes, I'm going to keep an eye on him. I felt horrible because I, I tried to stop. Like I was like running and leaping <laughs> over stuff because I saw him like trying to get up and I was like, no, like, you know, because I knew he, he couldn't handle standing up right now, you know, because your body changes, you know? So when she came back, she was the sweetest lady in the world. And she's like, you know, it's okay. Like, he's okay. I'm okay. I'm not upset. I'm not mad. I'm like, but I felt just horrible because I was like, I promised you you know, and he's, he's like my favorite. He was like an uncle to me, you know? And so I felt horrible, you know, as if like, I felt responsible, even though obviously I wasn't responsible for it. And, you know, there's not much you can do when you're across the room and, you know, but at the same time, I, that was probably my worst moment was just feeling responsible and like, yeah, I didn't want him to hurt more and I didn't want her to hurt more, you know? 
how, I mean, how was the fall? Was he okay after He was fall? okay. Yeah, okay. he was totally okay. He just, you know, stumbled and like all of us, because all of us knew like, you, there were like 10 nurses all running <laughs> at the same time. But I actually think someone caught his head at the, you know, as he was about to like hit the ground. So Ooh. thankfully for that, but yeah, I, oh, I just felt so horrible, you know. I think I know the answer to this, but <laughs> what did that time as an oncology nurse teach you? If there's like one sort of takeaway, one lesson, I'm sure there were many, but what did it teach you? Um, number one, we're stronger than we think we are. And number two is if we just have more love for people, we don't know what other people are going through. The people that are driving down the street and may cut you off, like you don't know if they're on their way to a doctor's appointment, it's about to change their life. Like we don't know. And so I think the biggest thing is just being patient with yourself and being patient with others. Just having that love for everybody. You know, yes, there are some bad people in the world. I, I know this, I'm a foster mom. Like there's lots of bad in the world. But at the same time, like just knowing that you don't know where everybody's at. And so even if you just, at the grocery store, you can stop and talk to someone, what's hard for you? And have a full-blown conversation and have a therapy session with them because, you know, we all have hard things. And I think the biggest thing that I learned was you don't know what other people are going through. So you need to treat everyone like they're in crisis and treat everyone with that special extra, like, love. Oh, I love that. Have, have you read The Four Agreements? You would love that book. No, I have not. I have not. I, I, I have. That out. <laughs> yes. It's an older book. I have it. I mean, I have The Four Agreements right here on my computer <laughs> and they're really, really simple. They're be impeccable with your word. Um, always do your best. But then the last two are the ones that, I, that really hit me hard. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. Oh, I love that. Yeah. How speak, true is that? Yeah. Because you don't, you just don't know. And I you think don't. even right now we're living in this world where every little thing is a microaggression. Yes. I don't even know who came up with that word. And yes. I don't understand it. I don't take it personally. Yep. You, know? um, you can't, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you absolutely can't. And uh, yeah, I, I love what you just said. Yeah, that person cutting you off in traffic probably didn't have anything to do with you. That was a great example. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's, yeah. You'll love that and just one. going off of what you just said, um, so I can't remember the guy's name, but he's like a marriage person, but he has, don't build a fence with offense. And so he has this example where you're literally, he's staking in these fences, you know, one by one, because someone got mad over something and someone got mad at something. And so eventually you have this huge fence and the two people are on two different walls. They can't even talk to each other. They can't even see each other. And how often do we all do that? You know, I know we're all guilty of it, but how often can we like write down every day? What are the positive things that someone in my family does? What are the positive things that, you know, my child does? We've had 30 kids over the years as foster parents. Like it's so hard sometimes to be like, okay, I got to find something positive right now because I'm really ticked off right now, you know, but there's always something positive we can find in each other, you know? And so like what you said, like, we just can't be offended by everything. So it sounds like you do some sort of gratitude practice or journal every day. <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't do a journal. Here's what I do. I do, um, I'll either carry around a post-it in my pocket for like, if my kids do something good, like to make me happy. Cause you have to, in, in a family, especially like sometimes life hits and you have ma major trials hit you. And so I'll carry around a little piece of paper on like something that 
sparked joy in my husband or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to say, oh my gosh, he did not take out the trash, but I didn't ask him to take out the trash. You know, and we often get offended over these little things. The other thing that I do is I have a calendar. And so at the end of the day, I'll either write a smiley face if I did good at like recognizing other people's good things, or I put a big fat X across, like I got to do better tomorrow. Like, (laughs) you know, so instead of the gratitude journal, because I just don't always have time for, you know, to write it down, I will just post it or, you know, like do a tech tally mark of, you know, things and then the calendar at the end of the day. Oh, I love that. I still love it. I'm not sure you should X yourself, but I love, I love it. I, I, and the post note is, yeah. is brilliant. I think that's, that's brilliant. Um, and I agree with you. I think we can find something like, like even, can. yeah, even on my worst day, my gratitude journal is actually pretty funny. And I actually just use an app because it's just easier. I love to write, but for that one thing, I use an app and I do it right before bedtime. And occasionally, most of the time there's, there's details and stuff, but occasionally you'll just see, thank you. I was breathing today. (laughs) (laughs) I made it through one more. (laughs) That's all I've got for today. So, but, um, but still, of course, very, very grateful. Well, this is a very loaded question. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to to talking about it with you. So what is, and I'm not going to limit you to one thing. I'm not. Okay. So two things, Um, if you can improve healthcare in the U S what would it be and why? And I have not had anyone answer this question the same yet. So it's fascinating. So I think my biggest thing is stop treating patients like a factory. Like Mm. don't overload your schedule. Sorry. You want to make a ton of money. Great. Then hire more doctors, get more people in. So you're not having a factory. I think that's the biggest thing because the other places that I've worked and hospitals, it's like a factory. Mm. We're not factory. We're not plastic. Like we're all human. And I think that's the biggest thing that I would change is, um, yes, it's not changing like policies and stuff like that, but it's changing the way people treat each other. If you think about it, doctors go into what they do because there's, they have the intelligence and they're supposed to be able to care for people. You know, we want to do good. Same with nurses. But how often do we have nurses that just push you aside, doctors that push you aside, caregivers that push you aside? Like, like there's no, that's what I would change. I would change creating it like a factory and then maybe providing extra education on how to actually care for people. Like in nursing school, a lot of nursing schools, they don't have, they'll have like where you have to take psychology beforehand and stuff like that. Well, that's learning about like Freud and like theorists. It's not <laughs> learning how to actually care for people. Right. And especially like in oncology, you need to be a therapist, a nurse, so, you know, everything at the same time. And so in order to do that, I think, I think they could do a better job at educating while you're still in school in order to you know, create better outcomes after school. My hospital that I work at now, well, I, I audit the hospital now. So when you're in orientation and stuff, they have this video and I have no idea what it's called where they show everybody like workers and patients and everything. But then they also show like outside of home, like what's happening at home and what's on their mind. Like they'll have little um, thought bubbles pop up yeah. of like, this patient's thinking about like their son that just got diagnosed with cancer or this nurse is thinking about, Oh, I just got in a car accident today. And how am I going to pay for this? And you know, like, so it just goes back to like, we all have things going on, but we all need to treat each other with that extra special like care. And so I think that's one area that could improve is having, you know, more empathy and more um, compassion classes 
that can actually train people to provide for those needs when they're out of school, you know, because the knowledge is great, but it's not going to do anybody any good unless you're actually caring for people and not treating them like a factory. Yeah. So what do you think now with the role of telehealth? Because I think one very positive thing that's come out of the whole COVID-19 is this um, embrace of telehealth by doctors who've always known it was there and available to them, but didn't want to do it, but also patients. And I know if I have a phone appointment with my doctor, he spends more time with me. Yeah. I see him in person, which I actually had to do the other day. It wasn't nearly as long, but I knew I had to go in for an x-ray. So that's why I went in. But he even tells me that more and more patients are doing the teleappointments. They really like them. So what do you think about that? Oh, I absolutely love them. We do telehealth for, um, my son has speech therapy. And so we do it for speech therapy because as long as you don't have to physically touch the patient, there are sometimes like, you know, if you need labs drawn, like you can't, you got to do that. Um, if you need your treatment, your chemo treatment, you got to be in there for that. In those situations, yes. But I do think yes to go in, but I do think like you're waiting in a waiting room for who knows how long because they over flooded their schedule. And then on top of that, you're trying to not be around people so you don't get sick. I mean, there's so many factors, you know? I love telehealth um, for certain situations, and I think it's amazing. And I do think more doctors should do that for for the, we don't need to do labs today or it's not a treatment day. Absolutely, telehealth, you know? Um, But if you're physically having symptoms and stuff like that, I would definitely go in so they can feel you and, you know, all of that. But I do, I do like telehealth. Yeah, I do think it gives them just a little bit more time. And, and it seems like even um, insurance companies are embracing it a little bit more too. So, yeah. Okay. So I, I like that. Don't, don't treat yeah. people like a factory. <laughs> yeah. I like that. It's my biggest thing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, you, you told us why you're no longer working as an oncology nurse. What are you doing now? So my husband and I are marriage coaches. So this kind of goes off a little bit of another dramatic instance that we had. So I was working at the hospital when our shooting happened in Vegas and so, oh yeah, gosh. yeah. Oh. it was awful. I saw a lot of stuff that I never, ever want to see again. And so, but I was, I came home that night. I was talking to my husband and I was just, and my other major is marriage and family studies. And so I will start grad school in August to be a social worker, to do the licensed clinical social rep so I can yeah. do therapy. I was talking to my husband that night and we've always coached families. We've always done it unofficially, just marriage coaching because We've had 30 kids over the years. We've been foster parents for over, almost a decade. Like, you know, so we've had a lot of people come to us for family situations. I was talking to my husband that night and I got this overwhelming impression that my mission in life was to help families. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I'm already a foster mom. I'm already trying to become a marriage and family therapist. Like, what else is there, you know? And so um, we got, felt very strongly we needed to just start coaching couples officially. It's been wonderful because... Um, especially as a foster mom, like you see families being destroyed before your eyes. And so any family that we can help, that's our main goal. You know, it's not the financial, whatever it's the, I just want families to stay together. You know, my kids have all, because they're all adopted through foster care. Um, they've all seen things that they should have never seen. And how often does that happen? Regular homes, you know, because of divorce and because of all that external circumstances. So any family that we can help, and I'm not always saying that divorce is not the right option. Sometimes it is. But what I'm saying is 
sometimes there's massive things that you can do before it even gets to that line, especially with all of the stress that can happen on a day-to-day -day basis. So we coach couples on how to communicate better, how to strengthen their family, how to have those difficult conversations, you know, and we've seen a lot of success with it. And it's been very helpful for us as a couple to know, you know, that, that what we teach is doing the right thing. So, but we, yeah. we own our family strong is what we, what we call it. It's the letter R and then family strong. I love it. Yeah. Who's your, who's your ideal couple? Is it someone who's is a couple that's newly married? They've been married for a while. Do they have foster kids like you guys? So honestly, it doesn't matter to me because we've helped couples that are on the verge of divorce to the couples that are like, yeah, we have a great marriage and we just want to make it better. So it honestly doesn't matter to me as long as the couple is willing to work on their marriage. It doesn't matter to me because if you're putting in the work, you will see results, you know? So it's, it's just like when you exercise, if you're, if you're exercising, you, you, you do see results, whether it's you lose weight or you just feel healthier, you see results. And it's the same thing with learning how to communicate better and stuff like that. So it doesn't matter where you're at in your marriage, as long as both of you or one of you is at least willing to work on it. Yeah. I, well, I agree. You have to be willing to work on it. Mm -hmm. I, I had a friend who went to therapy and under the impression that her husband would join her and he just never showed up. Yeah. He just never showed up. And so by the third, I think third session, the therapist just said to her, I think I need to help you find a lawyer. I mean, because yeah. it had already gotten to that point. It was already yeah. bad. Yeah. And when it's in that type of situation, we just work on the individual. If the other person's not going to work on it, like there's nothing we can do to change that. The right. only thing we can do is help that person know, like help the individual that wants to work on their marriage or wants to work on themselves. That's what we work on because you can't force anybody into anything. You can't, you can't tell them how to react in a conversation. You can't, you can't control them. They can only control themselves. And so just like what she probably did was we'll work on you, but right now he's not willing to budge. So we'll just work on you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, very cool. Um, <laughs> what are you most grateful for in your life? Um, my husband and my family, like my five kids, they're crazy little monsters, but I want to train them for the world and my husband, honestly. And how old are your five kids now? So, <laughs> so we have a seven-year-old that will be eight next week, a, a three-year-old that will be four next week, a three-year-old that will be four in October, and then a five-year-old. Oh, and then our, our two-year-old. So we have five total, two, three, almost four. Uh, five and seven. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's five crazy. kids under the age five of eight kids. is what you're telling yes. me. Yes, oh, it's my nuts, but they're best friends. And so I wouldn't trade it. Like they do every, especially COVID because we don't, because they all have grown up. We don't know what effects COVID has on like, you know, drug exposure for children. And, you know, we don't, they all have lung issues because of drugs that were exposed to them when they were born. So mm -hmm. we don't let anybody in our home and we don't go out. And I know it sounds silly, like, but I work from home and my husband works from home and our kids. So they've bonded. It's been wonderful for us because they're just bonding and they're just, yeah, they're making messes and they're dirtying a lot more dishes than usual, but <laughs> they're having a good time. And, you know, there's no, no reason why we can't have a good time too, you know? Oh, oh, that's awesome. And I know people who say the same thing, who, yeah, I think it's so different. It depends on where you live and your yes. family situation. But I know, I know someone who it's the first time he's really been able to bond with his kids in a long time yeah. because he's not traveling Yep. and they take a hike every day and he's, he's never done this kind of stuff with his kids. Absolutely. And, and so he actually doesn't want anything to change anytime soon. <laughs> 
yeah, that's me. I'm like, you know what? I'm good. Like, I don't need all the extra kids at my house. I'm good. Like, I'll just keep mine. Oh, I love it. Um, well, this has been so interesting um, because it's not very often that I get to interview a provider and, um, and get their perspective. Um, and I just, I love what you had to share and, and for being so open and honest. Um, are you ready to have a little fun with the Thriver Rapid Fire? Let's do it. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains? Um, beach. <laughs> beach boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? I have beach boys. <laughs> oh, girl after my own heart, okay? No one ever says beach boys, ever. Really? Uh, no, no. Uh, what is one word that best describes you? I think loving. I can see that, definitely. <laughs> um, before you die, what is last, oh, sorry, last song you want to hear? I just, my seven-year-old has an amazing voice. So any song that he would sing, I'd just be like, sing it to me, honey. Like, I, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> uh, last meal you want to eat? Um, probably carne asada. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I have never actually had carne asada. Oh, I've never had so it. So good. Because when I lived in Southern California, I was a vegetarian the whole time. Oh no. So I've never <laughs> so had wonderful. it. Yeah. Um, and of course you, you can't get it where I live now. No. So. Um, last person you want to see? My family, my husband and my kids, probably my husband. And yeah. last words you will speak. I love you. <laughs> Aww. Aww. And we talked a little bit about this before I hit record. So aside from Cancer U, it's one resource that you want to recommend for cancer patients and caregivers. Yeah. So um, we actually created a friend of mine and I, we created a book. It's called, well, it's a journal. It's called I'm Stronger Than I Think I Am. And the way that it works, so you can buy it on um, Amazon. All the money goes to Patricia. She's the the one, she, her and her husband were married. They were high school sweethearts. Um, and they actually were foster parents. We adopted our kids at the same time. And she has 10 kids. Her son, one of her sons that she adopted, passed away with cancer at six years old. And it was a, uh, or actually I think he was seven at the time. It was a massive journey, you know, from before she even adopted him was when he got diagnosed. It was a rare bone cancer um, to all the way until, you know, he, I think he was seven and he passed away September, it was 2018. Yep. 2018. And then last year her husband passed away with a heart attack almost to the day of her son. Um, and so after that, I was like, what can I do for you? Like there's, you know, and I had just learned because my husband and I, we have a few journals that we created and a few books that we created for couples and for parents. So I thought, okay, well, we'll create a journal for anybody that's having a hard time. And it's called, I'm stronger than I think I am. Um, if you can't find it or you cannot afford it, I think it's like six bucks on Amazon, but if, seriously, if you can't afford it or find it, just reach out to me and I will just send you a copy. Like it, it, we're not in it for money. Like we just want to help families. But um, the biggest thing, so we, I created it with her. So we d went deep down on what kind of things does she wish she could have known when her son was going through cancer and right after her husband died. And so every month the topic changes and it's just like you write like a sentence or two. And so for instance, the first, um, the first month is I'm stronger than I think I am because, and every day you write why you're stronger than you think I am. And then there's a spot for you to say, I'm grateful for, and then, and it has that day. And then the next month it says my favorite memories are, and then same thing, you write down your favorite memories and I'm stronger because, and then every month it has a spot where you can write a future letter to yourself. So how did I overcome my trials this month? Yeah. She said that was the best thing that she started doing for herself. And so we threw it in the book because 
why not? You know, if, if that's something that will help anybody. So every month it goes um, the same, it goes every different topic for six months and then it recycles the same topics for the next six months for the entire year. So again, if you can't afford it, can't find it, reach out to me. I'll just send it to you. Like it's not a big deal. (laughs) So I just want, if anybody's going through a hard time, it's a way to like get your thoughts out because I know, yes, I never went through cancer and my son or my husband never did. But after we had the shooting and I had to, you know, I had to grieve myself, even though I never knew these patients. And like, it was hard. Thankfully during that time, I was, my class was actually, um, how to counsel in trauma. And so I reached out to my professor. And so these are things that she helped me like walk through was journaling, just little bit of journaling because I'm not a writer. I don't like writing. So it's like a sentence every day of things, how you can overcome these hard things. So, um, yeah, it's called, I'm stronger than I think I am. And it's by Patricia Nordstrom is, um, who we put as the official author and that's her. Um, but it's just a journal for enduring life's difficulties. So Okay. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And, um, and how can people get in touch with you? If they want to learn more, if they want to learn about coaching, how can they find you? Yeah. So I'm Jojo Rankin. You can find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook group called, um, strong business, stronger marriage, because we work mostly with entrepreneurs, but we work with all couples. Um, and then I also have a mom group. We just started the mom group, but because I want moms to know that they matter, um, it's called operation mom elevation. So that's a, it's a little Facebook group. And in that group, we literally just like, I'll have providers come on, physical therapists, um, counselors, just play therapy, anything that like moms need, you know? Um, so I'll have them come on a lot. And then you can also message me again. It's Jojo Rankin. I'm sure there's a gazillion Jojo Rankins out there, but, or you can go to our website, which is www.rfamilystrong.com. Um, and then like, there's a way to like link my calendar and stuff. So if you needed to talk or whatever, so thank you so much. No problem. For no problem. Story today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.